Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello folks and welcome to the Game Day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface, TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook and the 2006 FA Cup final goal scorer, former England, Norwich and West Ham striker Dean Ashton. Wham! Arsenal dropping like the pines off a Christmas tree. Last Christmas, Mikel got their heart, but the very next campaign, they allowed Burnley to win away. This year, they'd like to go up the tiers, so treatment he gets isn't special. Humble cottage pie for Liverpool as Klopp tops flop, missing the chance to go above Spurs. That was after Jose jabbed a finger in the direction of his players and Hugo Lloris lost the use of his. Saints are marching on, Chelsea gets stuck at the Toffees and the Manchester derby genuinely sends a former Premier League striker to sleep. People were believe me, but I actually fell asleep. I woke up to a call from the producer to say, where are you? I was that I was that bored by the game. I couldn't believe that that's a derby. All that plus a look at all the games in a huge midweek program, another Newcastle win, and Mike Dean makes his three thousandth booking. All on the podcast that like Granite Xhaka likes to take things by the scruff of the neck. It's the Game Day Premier League post match podcast from Talk Sport. This is Game Day. Well, hello to Dean Ashton. Were you one of the lucky 3,000 to be booked by Mike Dean? Um, no, I wasn't. Oh. Which kind of feel like I've, I've missed out, to be honest. You've been robbed of that special honour, haven't you? <laughs> I have, yes. But I was lucky enough to be reft by the mighty Mike. And um, he's everything you would imagine and more. Oh, do you know what? I, I, we didn't have a, a really good nickname for Mike Dean, did we? Until we've had, Mighty Mike now is certainly going to stick. Uh, Alex Crook, TalkSport transfer guru and football reporter is here as well. Hello. Hello. I'm glad you recycled that um, last Christmas line because I, I tried to use it to a caller on Darren Bent's boot room and it went completely over his head. Well, you say recycled. I, I think I made it better. Your one was a little bit uh, convoluted, wasn't it? And that's why the caller didn't get it. <laughs> that's why That's why you're the script writer. Yeah. Uh, right. OK, we've got so much to get through over the course of the next, what, 40, 50 minutes. So first of all, let's get to what should have been the biggest game of the weekend, the Manchester Derby, which was live on TalkSport. Oddie Gunnar Solskjaer said, all I want for Christmas is to face the Blues. There's no better game to ask for, he said, if you're a team that want to aim for the top of the charts. First corner of the game taken by Luke Shaw on this near side in front of the scoreboard end away to our right. There are five United jerseys to aim at. One of them is Lindelof and coming at the back post is McTominay and it's scooted beyond him 
after Lindelof's flick on at the front post. That was a good chance for Manchester United. Given away by Edison onto Rashford, into the area, Pobble with a shot, deflection, and it's behind and away for a corner. But here comes Jesus at the other end, scampering forward, looking for De Bruyne. Oh, lovely pass to Mares into the area, left footed shot, saved oh. by the goalkeeper, comes back to De Bruyne over the top of the crossbar. What a chance for Manchester City to take the lead. Fernandez, first time ball into the box, taken down by Rashford inside the area, always oh, taken to the floor. Is it a penalty? It is, you know. Manchester United have got another penalty kick. Penalty is not going to happen, not because the foul was not a foul, but because Marcus Rashford was in an offside position when the ball was played. A Cancelo into Jesus, great take ahead of the goalkeeper, sets out for the oh. blocked by Maguire, comes back to Jesus, still not converted. Uh, there is the four-time whistle. Well, it wasn't a Christmas cracker, that is for sure. I did think it was funny that Gabriel Agbon Lahore um, had this confessional that he actually genuinely fell asleep during the game and he had to get woken up by the producer of the TalkSport programme that came on after the game in order to get him into the studio because he, you know, he, he just couldn't stay awake through the boredom. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad, was it? I mean, it, it wasn't that bad, was it? Was it? I mean, in the first half was okay. The second half was just... Yeah, it was just cancelled each other out. Were you a little bit annoyed, Crook, that they didn't seem to want to win the game? They were quite happy, Manchester United, to, to, to draw it. Yeah, and as we're talking about Christmas trees, that probably shows how far the, the Manchester United star has fallen from the tree because actually I got the impression that in the last half an hour a more ambitious team would have seen that Manchester City were there for the taking. This is not a vintage Manchester City side. They're missing a bit of stardust. They haven't found a way to score goals without Aguero leading the line. It's just strange the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer goes about things tactically because these tactics would have probably been perfect for Paris Saint-Germain at home and Leipzig in midweek in the Champions League when they only needed a draw to progress in that competition. But he went gung-ho in those two games and got punished. This game, when actually there was an opportunity uh, to be more expansive, he didn't do it. Well, actually, I, I think he's got to be commended for the fact that they've kept a clean sheet. They defended diligently and much better than they did in the midweek game against Leipzig. That's a different conversation. But again, they were sort of neutered in attack. I think the biggest story, really, Dean Ashton, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that Manchester City don't seem to be able to score goals anymore. It is. I mean, look, they've got a goal difference of plus six, but that obviously involves their seasonal thrashing of, of Burnley. So let's get it right. They are really, really struggling in front of goal. And, you know, in the past, they've missed... Sergio Aguero and at times Jesus or when he even when he was younger he wasn't quite ready um, and they've still managed to score goals because they shared them around the whole team and and that would be the big worry is that the rest of the team really look um, goal shy when certainly Sergio Aguero is not there the one thing I couldn't believe and I think has really surprised me is I thought Phil Foden would genuinely come in and play a lot of football and be really given the opportunity to take that David Silva role because David Silva gave them something that nobody else did, which was just being able to really mix between being involved in the midfield but genuinely being um, a threat to the back line as well. And I think Foden does that. And also Foden's probably got that enthusiasm maybe that some of the players that have been there and have, have, have experienced success he still wants it. He's got that hunger and, and it amazed me that he didn't get any minutes. I thought Gary Neville made a really good point after the game and he cited Kevin De Bruyne as someone who would look around this Manchester City team and think quietly to himself, 
you're not as good as the players that we usually have. I wonder, Dean, have you ever been in that situation where certain star men have left and, and you've looked around at what's left and, and realised that actually they're not that good anymore? I think Norwich was the, the only time I felt that was when we got relegated from the Premier League and basically a few lone players went back, a few players left uh, via transfer and we didn't actually bring anyone in. And suddenly I looked around and thought... This is going to be this is going to be difficult. We just haven't got the same standard of squad. If this player is missing and that player is missing, we are going to struggle. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think he maybe looks around and thinks, well, if Aguero is missing, um, David Silva's gone. Where is the players that I know I can really link with and that uh, that are going to show the best of me? Um, where are they? And and it'd be interesting. I'd love to know. I'd love to know what Kevin De Bruyne thinks of Phil Foden and whether he he'd like to be playing alongside him or not. 15 goals less than last season. I mean, that's quite a huge number of goals that they are not scoring this campaign. They are keeping more clean sheets and I suppose maybe that's the payoff, isn't it? You know, they've tightened up at the back and as a result of that have lost a little bit of power going forward. And he is a squad that is in transition, so he's trying to turn it round, he's trying to bring new players in and it might take him a little bit of time to rebuild that team to go on another big charge. Uh, Manchester United, obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said actually he thought it was the best performance that that Manchester United had put together against Manchester City in his time at the club. Is that something that you would concur with, Crook? No, it's absolute nonsense. If that's the best performance they've put together in two years, I hate to see the rest. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say it was the best performance they've put together in two years. He said it was the best performance against Manchester City. They'd beaten them three times out of four. But he said, actually, they played better in this particular fixture against them than they had in any of those other four. That's no, what, that, that was the line. I disagree with that as well. There's There's been wins against Manchester City when he set them up tactically to hit on the counter. I think it particularly, actually, the second leg of the, of the League Cup final last season was a better Manchester United performance. I think he's clutching at straws there. Um, okay, all right. Well, we, I think we're pretty clear now that uh, Manchester United are not going to change their manager anytime soon. They have a game against Sheffield United on Thursday night. Let's move on to Fulham against Liverpool. What a good match, Dean Ashton. And didn't Fulham play well in it? I think a lot of people thought that this one was going to be a smacking for the Cottagers, including me. But I'm a little concerned that maybe it's going to start taking its toll on Liverpool over the next few weeks. They're, they're not very good away from home. They failed to win their last five on their travels. Why is that? I think, obviously, teams knew what Liverpool were like last season. But, you know, the fact that they're champions, the fact that um, I think teams will look at that side and certainly look at defensively um, where what where that team's at. And they would think, do you know what? If we're ever going to have a real go on our own patch against a side like Liverpool and really try, try to squeeze them and test that back line then now is the time. And I thought Fulham showed exactly what probably a lot of teams are, are thinking is, can we put pressure on and maybe take a chance in terms of allowing, you know, the the the, the top end of the pitch players that Liverpool have got that can frighten you. But you know what? Let's have a real go and test that back line. I thought they did it brilliantly. And I think Scott Parker's got to take a lot of credit in terms of how ruthless he's been in terms of the players, getting rid of players or, or at least leaving players out and bringing in fresh players and sticking with them um, and also just a slight tactical tweak I saw it against Leicester which worked very very well you know almost playing three at the back and and Deco Dover Reed um, as almost like a right wing back at times certainly in a defensive 
situation. I just, I've been really impressed with the way he's now set his team up. Yeah, they really were. And they created a lot of chances. And actually, Alisson made a couple of really big saves prior to Liverpool getting back into the game. Crook, what did you think of the penalties? Let's start with the equaliser, first of all. Just explain what happened there. Um, it was a shot from outside the area that, 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 that did strike a Fulham player on the arm. You can argue whether it was in an unnatural position, but I think there was probably enough distance between the player who struck the ball and the defender for it to be given a penalty. I didn't think the uh, the the Fulham penalty in the first half that wasn't given by VAR was a penalty. I'm not saying it wasn't a foul. It probably was, but it took us a few watches to realise that. So therefore, under the barometer of VAR, it wasn't a clear and obvious error. Yeah, we'll go back to that in just a second. Let's hear from Jurgen Klopp and what he had to say about it. Let me say it like this. I saw it now once. Um, if, if he gives a penalty, I would not be surprised. I'm not sure there's contact, but I'm not sure there's no contact as well. So that's the situation because I'm not sure who it was it Lookman or well, who slipped. I don't know. All of the cheek, I don't know who slipped. But we cannot see that 100%. Um, but before the goal we conceded, uh, there was a foul on Mo Salah. So if it's a penalty, yeah, then it's a penalty. But that was a foul. This goal shouldn't have stood. So that's it. Uh, so he's actually upset about the goal that uh, Fulham scored, saying that there was a foul in the build-up to that, which I think is probably a, a little bit uh, clutching at straws himself. The one that they were denied Fulham by the referee after consulting the RRA, Fabinho and Caviero, took ages to clear up because it's multifaceted. The key points are VAR thought it was a pen or could have been, so they, they wanted to check, so they then look back at, and, at the build-up to see if there's a foul by a Fulham player to rob um, the ball and then send it forward. There isn't a foul, according to the VAR, so they asked Mariner to go over and look at the monitor. Actually, I think what they did was they did it all out of order. They looked at the foul, they looked at the bit that they should have looked at first, which was the the foul in the build-up, and then they went back again to the penalty. So by the time that Mariner goes over to the monitor, we've all seen it about 150 times. Now, I think depending on what angle you're watching it from, it either looks like Fabinho hasn't got the ball and has gone straight through the player, or that he's got the ball. Therefore, because you can't make up your mind, or like me, I changed my mind three times during the course of seeing the replays, there isn't sufficient evidence to say that that is a clear and obvious error. So I don't think the VAR or Andre Mariner can overturn that decision. Very, very, for me, it's really, really simple. And I can see exactly why there'll be lots of clubs that aren't in the top six that will say, this is just so typical of a big a big club call in terms of this is probably one of the only times I've ever seen clear and obvious used because it's exact clear and obvious is exactly what this needs to be used for, which is one where even when you look at it and you slow it down, it's still really hard to decide. But in so many other matches and so many other decisions, they've been given, they've been given as penalties, but Andre Mariner's thought to himself, well, it needs to be clear and obvious and it's not. Therefore I, I leave my uh, my decision on, on on the field. And that's the big disappointment is the consistency because clear and obvious hasn't been used barely at all in other matches. And then there's the next criteria in law when you start looking at it and asking yourself the question, actually, was it a foul in the first place? Because uh, yeah, it is awarded, an offence is given if a, a challenge is careless, reckless or using excessive force. And the consideration of getting the ball first, has not been 
uh, around for 25 years. And Fabinho's action causes Caviero to lose his feet. He's swept up in the air and he cannot strike the ball. So even if he did get the ball first, did he commit a foul in that act? Well, you can make a case either way, I think. And again, we go back to the fact, so therefore VAR is not going to overturn it. But a lot of people will think that he should have given a penalty for that crook. Yeah, I think it was a foul. But as I said, right at the start, it wasn't clear and obvious. We had a discussion about this um, after the Brighton Southampton game on, on Monday night over their penalty when you correctly pointed out that matters of geography, the clear and obvious side of things doesn't come in. But I agree with Dean as well. That clear and obvious hasn't really been applied on a consistent enough basis. So we need to find some consistency. VAR is still causing more problems than it's solving, in my opinion. Would you... Um advocate the idea of somebody who is associated with the PGMOL like happens in the MLS for example where the head of refereeing or the head of the VAR implementation team does a video on a Monday morning where he goes through all the controversial decisions and explains what happened and why they made the uh, decision for social media so he does it in about 90 seconds each decision or whatever they pump it out and I think it just gives a little bit more clarity to those people watching it going oh yeah at least I know what that decision has been made for or the, the reason why that decision has been made I think managers and players would welcome that as much as supporters because I go to games on a weekly basis as you do and the number of managers and players who turn around and say I don't know the rules anymore that's a problem that the PGMOL have to solve and that would be a good start I think Okay, let's go on to Palace against Spurs the wind and the rain howling a few ultras scattered in the stand. Can Tottenham do it on a cold Sunday lunchtime at the Palace? No. And why not, I hear you ask? Well, let's ask Jose Mourinho. I want to say credit to them because uh, you, you have always to give credit to the opponent when they do so well as, as they did. And um, I have to admit that our players, they couldn't do what I asked them to do. Because at half time, what I asked them to do was exactly the opposite that we did in that period. Um, okay, so it's pretty clear that it's the players' fault that they ended up not taking three points from that game, Dean Ashton. Is that a wise way of managing the situation? I think it all depends on the type of players that you've got. I think while you're still top of the league and you've had enough results recently, I think the manager will always be able to within reason, um, without really digging individuals out, can certainly say what he said today. And I think he's probably right in terms of, I thought Palace were excellent, there's no doubt. I thought the fact that they had supporters back really helped Palace. I thought the atmosphere was brilliant, certainly coming through my telly. And um, But I just, I thought it was embarrassing how deep Tottenham sat against a Palace side who all right, they've got some good players, but I just couldn't believe how deep they were. You know, all right, you do it against the top teams. You sit deep, you look to counter-attack, but not in the way that they did in that second half. And I think that's probably what he's talking about is the fact that they all sat so deep and didn't actually have any real penetration when they did get the ball or have any confidence or bravery on the ball when they got it. So even Jose's not enjoying watching Jose's team play Jose-style football group. <laughs> I think he probably should have waited for, for the rest of the results for the weekend before he tore into his players because actually with Liverpool dropping points at Craven Cottage, that, that isn't a bad point for Spurs. And they're, they're not going to win every game. That, that's not how title 
Chase's work. So actually, if you go to a place like Palace, the home team are quite buoyed, as Dean said, by having fans back in. I do think we're going to see more um, home results now, even with just a, a splattering of supporters, because it will give the home team a lift. That could be a good point come the end of the season. And I think it's far too early when you look at what Tottenham have done since that opening defeat against Everton to start throwing them under the bus. But that's Jose Mourinho. That's the way he's always been. For a long period, it did look like they were going to get away with it and grind out another result. But Perry Groves and Andy Cole were both sitting with me while this game was going on. And both were suggesting that this is the kind of game, the kind of performance that you have to get three points from if you want to win a title. Dean, is that fair? I think Alex has got a point. I think that is notoriously a very, very difficult place to go for all top sides. If we look over the last three or four seasons, the likes of Manchester City, Liverpool themselves um, a few years ago as well, um, they've all struggled to go there because it is. I've played there. It's a tough place to play. Tight pitch, um, you know, great atmosphere. Horrible changing rooms. Horrible changing rooms, you're right. Um, And I think... It isn't a bad point, actually, but look, Andy Cole knows what it takes to win titles and and he would probably have the experience of to get three points there today probably would have been a hu- another statement, I think, for the rest of the league that Tottenham are, are serious. But if I watched that, having been one of their rivals, I'd have thought, hmm, I'm not too sure they can go through the whole season playing that way and win the league. Um, I seem to have picked up a reputation for not liking goalkeepers, which is not true. I do like goalkeepers. I just like good ones. Um, what on earth were these goalkeepers playing at? Because Guaita makes a couple of absolutely outstanding saves and actually Loris made one very good save as well. But they both cost their teams goals, didn't they, Crook? Yeah, but again, that's the life of a goalkeeper. I mean, It's not, it's not the tw- life of most goalkeepers. I mean, most goalkeepers don't constantly drop things into the net, do they? And Hugo Lloris has got a bit of a habit of, of causing his team grit. When he makes a mistake, it does, it's a big mistake. And that, that was a massive mistake. Then there was yeah, no explanation I, for it. He just I, dropped I, it. I'll give you the Lloris one, but I was, I was thinking more of Guaita because there were people, Tottenham fans, tweeting in the first half saying, oh, here we go, we're up against a goalkeeper having a world-class day. And actually... And he was up yes, until his, that point. Yes, his mistake cost Palace a goal, but the flip side is without the saves that he made, then Tottenham would have been out of sight before half-time anyway. So I, I think we need to cut Guaita a bit of slack. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, you're being nice about goalkeepers. Are you going to be as nice about Arsenal and Mikel Arteta? Because it was very much a 15th versus 18th encounter at the Emirates, wasn't it? These two teams who between them have scored five goals in 13 hours of league football. Um, And obviously they scored via a set piece. Burnley got themselves in front, but only after Granit Xhaka had quite literally taken the game by the scruff of the neck. What on earth was he doing, Dean Ashton? Um, I think he, like quite a few of the players, I think they're frustrated. I think they, they most of them, you know, um, look like str- frustrated figures. And that was just a case of things aren't going your way. Nothing's really working in terms of an attacking sense. And all it took was just a little sort of niggle from Westwood to get a reaction. El Nenish probably should have been sent off as well when he sort of put his hands into the face of Tarkovsky. So there's a real, just to me, it's like a, a real lack of discipline, lack of sort of energy, pure frustration from that side. And 
I think it's a really, really bad sign if you're uh, if you're an Arsenal fan when players start to show that ill discipline. Well, this is not the first Arsenal player to be sent off this season by any stretch of the imagination, is it? And um, Mikel Arteta, I mean, has made some big, bold decisions, alienating certain players. Again, Doozy's smashing in screamers for her to Berlin. Uh, Meza Ertzel's doing a watch along on social media and uh, I mean did he did he fire Gunnosaurus in the air I'm not sure that he did but anyway maybe it was furloughed Gunnosaurus but anyway um, his tactics are a little bit dinosaur-like aren't they because they're not creating any chances Crook at all I mean they literally never look like they're ever going to score a goal ever again no, one shot on target in the first half against Burnley simply isn't good enough. And um, you mentioned it's not the first red card they've had this season. It's certainly not the first red card they've had since Arteta came in. In fact, since he was appointed in December last year, Arsenal have had six red cards. That's more than any other team in the Premier League. That smacks of indiscipline. And actually, I've been told some stories this week about certain big-name players at Arsenal, Aubameyang being one, that aren't necessarily conducting themselves around the training ground Certainly not as you would expect from your captain. So I think there's big problems there. What do you mean and by do, that? What's he doing? Let, let, let's just say he's raised a few eyebrows. Um, and, and he's not alone. David Louise was mentioned to me as well as someone who isn't uh, behaving as maybe a senior player should. And you mentioned Mesut Ozil. I think that is a problem because from what I understand, Mesut Ozil was quite popular um, with the Arsenal players. They understand his worth. They think actually he gets a bit of a bad press. So for, for the club, for whatever reason, and I'm not convinced it was solely Arteta's decision to alienate him, I think that seeped into the dressing room. I don't think the players are particularly happy. I mean, we all said that Leicester couldn't win the league, didn't we? I mean, can Arsenal get relegated, Dean? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's going to be that quite that bad. Look, I think there's a there's a crisis in confidence. There's no doubt about that because even when Lacazette had that chance in the first half, it came back to him. He was only about eight yards out. You would expect him to score that, and that's that's purely down to confidence. And and these type of players don't go a whole season being that unconfident. Well, they've gone so, six months. Uh, yeah, but I, I just think. He he. The reason I think they've had a lot of red cards as well is he wants aggression. He wants aggression from his side to go and press when when the opposition get get into their half to be more aggressive to get rid of that sort of nice arsenal that we had under Arsene Wenger. And I think that's what he's trying his best to do. But I think Alex is right. I think there's no doubt when you start to see ill discipline creep onto the pitch and body language of players like Aubameyang on the pitch tonight, just looked like he was, you know, annoyed with everything that happened. There's no doubt that probably behind the scenes, players will be talking. They always do anyway, but certainly when you're not winning, there's always grumblings behind the scenes. Um, and and so I think that's probably at the moment what Arteta's got to face. Any rumours about the possibility of him losing his job? Someone said to me he's probably got three games to prove that he can be the Arsenal manager. That was prior to today. Yeah, that was a story uh, doing the rounds actually in Italy, um, even before their Europa League game against Dundalk, that he had three games to save his job. Today being the first of those, they've got Southampton in midweek. We know what type of form they're in, and I wouldn't bet against uh, Theo Walcott that we had on uh, the boot room, going back to the Emirates and, and heaping more misery on his former teammate. Uh, and then, you, you know, you can't really see a way back from there. Max Allegri uh, was the manager named in this article there's talk of Pochettino as well I don't think Pochettino would take that job well I mean he could definitely improve them I think <laughs> I think there's much 
much doubt about that. Um, but then again, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that most people could at the moment because it, I, if the atmosphere is that bad, and sometimes this is what happens, if the atmosphere does go to, to, to the zone where it doesn't matter who walks in the door, a change will make an upturn. It happened actually when Arteta walked in. You know, he probably didn't do that much apart from not be Unai Emery and it just changed the mood of the place and obviously they went on a, a half decent run and ended up winning the, the FA Cup but that all seems a bit of a distant memory now as you say it's Southampton next and then they take on Everton live on TalkSport next Saturday at 5.30 I can't wait for that one this is what Everton got up to at the weekend it may not be the full-throated Goodison Roar that we're used to but it's a damn sight better than what we have been used to for the last nine months. Here is Richarlison for Everton. Left wing position on the far side of the field. Gets the return from Sigurdsson. He's into the area. His shot is tamed and easily gathered by Eduard Mendy. Headed forward by Calvert-Lewin for Everton into the penalty area. Mendy came out to meet him. That's a penalty. Gilfie Sigurdsson though will take it. Right footed scores. The penalty of the utmost calm and composure. He sends Mendy the wrong way. The corner. High into the penalty area. Zuma was climbing. It's headed away. It's come out to James who's hit the post via a brilliant touch from the right hand of Jordan Pickford. Richarlison left handed to the penalty area. Shoots right footed. Good save to his left by Mendy. It's only a two man Chelsea wall. Sigurdsson does go for goal and he sends it just a yard or so over the crossbar. Mendy rooted statuesque to the spot. Worthy looking to break over the halfway line he goes and Calvert-Lewin is onside. Calvert-Lewin charging into the penalty area. Onto his left foot goes down. Is that a penalty? It is! A second penalty for Everton! Being checked by VAR, the margins are relatively narrow, but it looks offside. No penalty to Everton. Chelsea having all the ball, but still they trail by a goal to nil. Still they can't find a way through. Still Jordan Pickford hasn't had a serious save to make in the second half. Mason Mount with the free kick right foot in! He's hit the post! Jordan Pickford wouldn't have got anywhere near it. It's finished on Talk Sports. Everton won. Chelsea nil. Yeah, Chelsea had a few chances in this game, but they were off the boil and Everton pounced and took advantage. 1-0 winners and Carlo Ancelotti, I think, will be grateful for the fact that he's got three points on the board. But um, Chelsea, I suppose, a little bit disappointing, Dean. Um, yes, I think it was, I thought Lampard's comments after the game was was really interesting to sort of try and really play down that they are title contenders. Did you think it was a little bit too much? Was he guilty of overreacting a little bit? I mean, it's only one defeat and he's all but suggesting that they were never in the title race and they weren't going to be. Yeah, I just, I really felt like he was just trying to take the sting off the performance and off the players and 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 take any pressure that maybe he might have felt was building. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are points well made in terms of there are a lot of young players and there has been a lot of changes um, in his side. I've got a big issue though with Timo Werner playing on the left-hand side. You know, you bring in a striker with the record that he's had and you put him on the left. Me and you, Sam, we've watched him live and you can tell he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be out on the left. He's constantly trying to creep into the middle. And I think that's a big issue. And I wonder whether it's because, you know, Pulisic isn't, quite fit enough I don't know to he's play. never fit exactly yeah to play regularly on that left hand side or or what it is or whether he just wants to keep giving you know obviously Tammy and, and Giroud an opportunity but for me it's just a really strange um, situation to be in to have such a, a lethal striker out on the left uh, praise for Everton who did well defensively bearing in mind they had so many injuries you know they 
had four centre-halves strung across the, the back line, really. Holgate playing as a right-back, Godfrey playing as a left-back. It was it was very difficult for them to put out a defence, and they've done very well with that. Wolves against Aston Villa finished with a late controversial... Uh, well, it wasn't a controversial penalty. It was just a late penalty, really, wasn't it? Uh, Villa have picked up another away win. That's five victories in six away from home. They've done very well this season. And when you think that they have two games on everybody else still to play, actually, Crook, they could be in the top four. <laughs> Nothing quite says uh, 2020 like Aston Villa making a charge for the Champions League. I think we both predicted um, that Aston Villa will win that game we did. on the uh, on the preview podcast. So I was quite pleased uh, with the late winning goal. I was pleased because uh, Darren Benton and I had, had a similar conversation on Friday on drive time and uh, I said Villa would win and he went, really? Really? As if I was mad. And then uh, when, it, when, it, when they did win, I sent him a little cheeky text to, to explain that I'd actually got it right. I think it's a transitional season for Wolves. They've lost Jimenez. It was great to see him back at the the training ground this week. We we still don't know when he will be uh, able to play again or whether he will be able to play at full capacity because obviously he's a player uh, who is renowned for being physical and, and, and going for headers. You wonder psychologically what damage that injury will have done. But I think it's, it's damaged the whole team as well, not having their talisman. And again, he's been toying with different formations defensively. Nuno, Espirito Santo. I think they've done really well, Wolves, since they were promoted from the championship. Um, possibly overachieved. And, and maybe now they're just starting to level out. Wolves are looking at Salomon Rondon, apparently, in the uh, January transfer window. He's in China at the moment. But would he be a decent replacement for Raul Jimenez, Dean Ashton? I don't think he quite brings the same level of link play. That Jimenez, uh, that Jimenez does. But I think he likes to play with that real focal point as a number nine, so then he can have the likes of Neto and Podence and, and Adama Traore to feed off that, that focal point. So I think it would probably fit for now, but that's all really. And it'd be more of a stopgap because um, Fabio Silva, that's a lot of, to ask of an 18-year-old that hasn't got a lot of experience to come in, lead the line in the Premier League, um, and he does look just slightly out of his depth at the moment. I think he's. I think there's a good player there, but that's a lot to ask. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
Okay, quick glance at all the other games that took place this weekend before we get into our midweek previews. Southampton 3, Sheffield United 0 on Sunday. Saints in the top four with another win that even drew praise from Chris Wilder. Crook, what was your very quick take on this? Uh, Southampton were ruthless, Sheffield United, plenty of endeavour, plenty of effort, not enough quality. And what worried me from a Blades perspective was the comments afterwards from Chris Wilder saying that they're sticking with a system that served them so well for the past three or four seasons. It may have done, it isn't working now, they need to adapt, they need to change quickly because they're heading one way. Uh, Newcastle beat West Brom by two goals to one, or West Bromwich Albion, as we should call them, their full name, or Hawthorns or Throstles or Baggies. Not Hawthorns, just Throstles or Baggies. Uh, 17 points from 11 games for Newcastle. That's the same as Wolves, and having played a game less, more than Arsenal. I think it's a shame they haven't fallen for Brucey Dean, because I, I said as much on the, on the show earlier today, I know the football isn't wonderful, but this is a local bloke who loves the club, wants to be the manager. You don't ever get a situation in football management nowadays where a local bloke who supports the club ends up being the manager of your team. Well, apart from Dean Smith at Aston Villa and Chris Wilder at Sheffield United and Lampard at Chelsea. He must go home at night and wonder what has he got to do, you know, to really endear himself to the supporters because, you know, they've been ravaged with with um, with people, you know, having a few, you know, COVID at the, at the training ground. And then he's been able to put a team out just about with probably very little training and got a result against the West Brom side, which have certainly picked up in terms of performances. Um, So that's got to be a really good sign from a Newcastle point of view. I think Callum Wilson gives them something they've just not had, which is that real um, sort of threat on the break and can help provide and score goals and give them an opportunity to then hold on to the leads that they have. But West Brom, if you're playing Matt Phillips at left wing back, expect to concede goals as they did in the first, however quick it was, 15 Nine, seconds. 19 seconds, 19.98 seconds. seconds, yeah. When you've got Gibbs sat on your bench, I think sometimes you can you can ask questions to the manager when that happens. Please don't tweet me, by the way, Newcastle fans. I didn't say you have to fall in love with him. I didn't say that I think he, he he's deserved your praise. All I said is I think it's a shame. That, that there isn't a better relationship between the two of you. That's all I said. I just think it's a shame. Uh, Leeds won West Ham United 2 on Friday night. Declan Rice over enthusiastically pointing to the Arsenal game and the Manchester United game and saying, well, we could have been up there. Didn't quite say title challenge, although the headline on the piece in the paper did say that. But he was talking up their chances. But what is he talking their chances up for, Crook? Well, I think Darren Lewis has been saying for for a while now on this podcast that he he believes West Ham could be in for a special season. That was a real test of character on Friday night, going behind so early against a Leeds team of whom we've extolled their virtues. And to come back and win the game, albeit via two set pieces, which is Leeds' Achilles heel, I think shows that West Ham have come a long way. And it, it, it seems a distant memory now that they were beaten by Newcastle on the opening day of the season the, the fans were unhappy with, with the signings they weren't particularly happy with David Moyes he's the Moyes eye now and I think they can challenge for Europe Leicester 3 Brighton nil. Vardy and Madison combining like Glenn Hoddle and Chris Waddle on diamond lights from the 80s um, since Brendan Rodgers took charge Jamie Vardy has scored 42 goals in the league that's the most in the league in that time and it is 8 more Dean Ashton than Mohamed Salah I want whatever that guy's taking yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I think that he's still underrated considering what he has brought to that Leicester team since he walked through the door, getting better every season, still got the hunger, the desire, the work rate, 
um, and the improvement in his technical ability, what more can he do to be put up there with the likes of Kane and Salah, like you just said? I don't know what he's got to do to start winning awards. He's just, for me... He is the shining light that every young player should go and watch. Um, okay, so I'll ask you this question because I think we probably have to now with them only being one point off the top. Are they title contenders? No, because if Jamie Vardy misses one, two, three more games, they're more likely to finish mid-table than they are to win the league. He's he that doesn't important. though, does he? <laughs> no, I said that about myself, Sam. <laughs> okay, we're not going there. <laughs> we've already we've already we've already robbed you of a booking from Mike Dean, so you know we can't take away <laughs> anything else from you. Uh, there's a big round of midweek fixtures to look at too. It's preview time. <laughs> Liverpool against Spurs has got to be the big match of the midweek period, isn't it? No Jota, no Milner, no Virgil, Matip subbed at half-time against Fulham, no Shimikas, no Gomez, Ox is back, uh, I suppose that's a good thing. Uh, the strength in depth Liverpool has slightly concerning. When I looked at the bench today and looked at their team, there was a couple of youngsters on there that haven't really been part of the first team before. And I just think, is this the period where Liverpool start to stumble a little bit and suffer from their major injuries? Could Spurs be the first team to beat them at Anfield in the league since the Allardyce win of 2017, Crook? I think this is a real conundrum for Jose Mourinho because we know that historically going into these uh, big games against teams that he perceives to be better than his, he is a, a safety first manager. He will go there to defend, to not get beat, be delighted with a nil-nil draw. But they've won them recently. I mean, they've, they've beaten Manchester United away. They've beaten uh, Manchester City at home. They've drawn nil-nil with Chelsea. They don't seem to lose these games anymore. No, and I don't think they'll lose this one. Um, but my question is, will he be brave enough and ambitious enough to go and try and win the game against the Liverpool side, who, as you mentioned, with so many injuries, look vulnerable? I'm still not convinced that they'll go for the jugular and, and I can see another goalless draw. Okay, what about you, Dean? I think that this just suits Jose down to the ground to be away from home, to allow Liverpool to have the ball, to sit deep, to defend and try and hit Liverpool on the break with the talent that they've got against, like you say, a tiring... Um, I mean, if Jordan Henderson ends up playing centre-back, then you would expect them... Um, to concede goals against a team like Tottenham, so I think um, I think they will. I think they'll go there, and I think they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll win there. I think it's starting to take too much of a toll on what is a an incredible schedule for these players, um, and I, I expect Tottenham to go there and win. Yeah, the game against the Crystal Palace was the first of seven matches in seventeen days for Tottenham Hotspur, which. Even like with my basic maths, that sounds like a really ludicrous schedule. That's almost every two days, isn't it? It's just over every two days. It's, it's absolutely mad. Yeah, but it's the same for a lot of teams, uh, except Liverpool. Uh, I saw a, a great graph a few weeks ago. and They've actually got more rest between their games over the festive period than any other Premier League team. I wonder if that's just a coincidence that Jurgen Klopp has been bleating about fixture congestion all season. Hmm. Uh, Spurs do play that way, don't they? I mean, you mentioned it, Dean. And uh, I wonder whether or not they'll feel that Liverpool didn't punish them this weekend as well when they dropped points at Crystal Palace and then Liverpool did not uh, make them pay by beating 
Fulham as a result of that. I just think Jose, he's got that little glint in his eye at the moment. I know he dug the players out after the game against uh, Crystal Palace, but I just think he will fancy it going up there. He loves going to Anfield and causing a fuss. I've seen him go up there with half a team before uh, and still manage to come away with a 2-0 win. He ruined their title hopes in 2014, 27th of April. I remember it well. Um, the uh, Steven Gerrard. Yeah, uh, and Fernando Torres running through one-on-one with a goalkeeper and going, no, I can't do this. I'm just going to pass to, oh, William, you'll do. You put it in for me because I can't do it to them. Um, let's move on to Sheffield United against Manchester United. Chris Wilder appeared resigned to me in the aftermath of that game with Saints. That isn't a good sign. He turned to the dad's army as well, didn't he? Jack Yelker and Billy Sharp coming into the team. I don't think that was ever going to work, Crook. Um, what will he do this time around against Manchester United? I think he has to play Rian Brewster. Um, I saw the boot room on Sunday night. Brewster must be wondering why he's there at this moment in time. £23.5 million is a huge outlay for a club the size of Sheffield United. He started three games in a team that can't score goals. One goal from open play all season. And against Southampton, rather than looking towards the record signing, the, the golden boy as far as... Uh, coaches at Liverpool are concerned he goes for Billy Sharp who with no disrespect to Billy Sharp is in the veteran stage of his career now that didn't work I think he's running out of ideas I agree with you I I thought he looked like he completely lost any kind of idea on the touchline and and this is not the game you want Manchester United for all the the issues they've got this season they are fantastic away from home and Mm. they will outscore Sheffield United but give Brewster a chance Um, I think to say he's without a clue on the touchline is maybe a little bit unfair. I think this is a guy that's taken a team from League One to the Premier League in breakneck speed. They shouldn't be here in the first place. They did incredibly well to stay here last season. It's very difficult for a club of that side, that size, with the lack of investment that they've got in the playing squad. And they haven't been able to spend loads and loads of money. They're spending £20 million tops on a player. And unfortunately, in this league at this time, it doesn't always work that well for you if your recruitment isn't spot on. And it hasn't been. Let's be completely honest. Berger's all right now, but it's taken time for him to settle. But Bernie doesn't score enough goals. He will in the Championship, but not necessarily in the Premier League. And Brewster's still a young kid. So, and I'm not sure about Luis Mousset, and I'm certainly not sure about the goalkeeper who had another bad day against Southampton. But he says he won't rip up the system, and Crook has already alluded to that, because he recruits for that system, he says. But this is a team that, against Southampton, Dean, in the first 20 minutes, completed 13 passes. I don't think it's the system. I think you you just nailed it then. They came from League One. Some of these players have come from League One and I think they've reached their limit. I think you're right. I think they, they've tried their best in the transfer market and it hasn't quite worked. Do you blame the manager for that or the people behind the scenes? Only they'll know who's really involved. Uh, but obviously the manager always takes the flack for that. But I just think they've reached a limit that most of them players can get to. They had a great season last season when Premier League teams weren't ready for what the way that Sheffield United play. They are this season. And I just don't think the players are good enough. Simple as that. Uh, Manchester United looking for 10 Premier League wins in a row on the road. They desperately need Cavani on the pitch because his movement and goal threat is absolutely superb. But he's got so much hanging over him, injuries and possible bans. I don't know when we'll see him over the Christmas period. Uh, Rashford needs to be a little bit more clinical and nastier, but he's never going to be. So I suppose you just have to just sort of use him where you can. Uh, Martial needs to step up. I actually think he'll be the next one out of the door. They need an upgrade in that area, you feel. And I, I wouldn't be too surprised if they go big in January, Crook. 
I don't know about that. I spoke to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a few weeks ago and he was suggesting that he was happy with his squad. He didn't expect much movement from anybody in the January transfer window. And again, if you look at Manchester United, recently they're a team who spend big money every other summer. They don't do a great deal spent in big January. They spent big money in January I, last year, didn't they? And they changed their season. I agree with you on Anthony. Yeah, but that was a deal they should have done in the summer. But I agree with you on Anthony Martial. He's not a kid anymore. He's been there for a number of seasons. And and to quote what Dean just said about Sheffield United, he's not good enough to be a Manchester United player. He's certainly not good enough to be a Manchester United striker. Uh, Wolves against Chelsea is another big game. Chelsea gave one of their best performances of the season at Molyneux uh, last campaign, but they need to be more clinical than they were against Everton. And we touched on Pulisic not being fit. He never seems to be fit, and that is a bit of a worry. Um, But um, do you... I suppose we've already touched on it. Timo Werner down the middle would be the solution uh, for you, I take it, Dean? Yeah, it would. I would like to see him given more of a run of games down the middle. I think just looking at his movement when he does get on that last line of defence is superb. Lightning quick, sharp. I think if you've got him down the middle with creative players around him, he's just going to be able to be slipped down the sides of the the centre-backs so often, I really think that's where Frank Lampard needs to needs to look. Um, but I would expect them to bounce back um, after that result um, against Everton. I would expect a real reaction from his side. Chelsea have been linked with David Alaba or David Alaba in January. He's 28 years of age. You can play left back, right back, centre back, centre back in a three, holding midfield player, play on the wing. He's literally a brilliant utility player um, and if Chelsea do need an extra centre-back where he has been playing recently alongside Thiago Silva or even instead of Thiago Silva he would be a great signing wouldn't he? Yeah I think they're going to have to smash their pay structure um, to get him so clearly Ouch uh, oh, Roman, what a shame <laughs> Clearly Roman is still uh, backing Frank Lampard I actually think the problem at the moment is they've almost got too many players and we talked about Timo Werner and, and how Not a centre-back they haven't Lampard is trying to shoehorn him into the team Should we talk about Kai Havertz as well because that transfer just hasn't worked out has it at he's all at the moment right. he'll be fine give him time he's still a young kid and he's had covid and he had it really bad really bad knocked him for absolute six and there's a lot of players like that as well by the way and he's not the only one now, i've mentioned it earlier in the season that you know pogba happened to him knocked him for six declan rice oh it floored him it floored declan rice as well and that was prior to an international break and he played about three or four days after uh, eventually being cleared of the virus, but um, it was almost like walking pace in Iceland as a result of that. So, look, he does take a toll. He's a, he, I've spoken to him about him coming into the Premier League and the physicality of the league and how difficult it is in comparison to Germany. Anyone who watched him in the Bundesliga knows that there is a matter of time before he turns into a brilliant player. He's absolutely superb. I think the issue is, is what you were saying about having too many players. They've got too many players in a certain area, Chelsea. That is a problem but they do not have enough centre-backs. Wolverhampton Wanderers don't have any players to play up front and lead the line, but they also have quite a few centre-backs. However, they've decided to only use two instead of three now, Dean. Is is that the right decision? They're playing a back four at the moment. Are they going to stick with that? I'm not sure he will, because I don't think they'll be as solid. I think the players have been so used to playing that way. I think Cody fits so much better in the three, being in the middle, being able to dictate, to organise. I think... If he's exposed in a two, I think I'd be looking as a as an opposition and thinking we can we can certainly try and isolate him, um, get players in and around him to cause problems. 
Um, I think maybe it'll be down to us. I know Saiz has just come back and played um, in the last game. So I just, I think he will. I think he'll go back to the three um, because I just think it suits the way that that they like to play. Even with the forwards, I think it's better with a, a bit more uh, protection at the back. Okay, so just a handful of fixtures to look at before the end of the show. Um, it's a busy week this week, isn't it? Arsenal, Southampton, Fulham, Brighton, Leicester, Everton, West Ham, Crystal Palace, uh, Aston Villa against Burnley, Leeds United versus Newcastle. Which one are you going to take, Crook? Which one do you want to talk about? You you choose one. Well, Arsenal, Southampton is obviously the one that catches the eye. Um, whether Mikel Arteta will still be the manager is open to debate. I suspect he will. But Southampton's so good away from home under Ralph Hasenhutl. I think uh, in Shea Adams, Danny Ings and Theo Walcott, they've got players going forward who can really hurt this Arsenal side. They're solid defensively. Uh, Vestergaard, one of the most improved players in the Premier League this season. I think this could well get worse for Arsenal before it gets better. I like the look of Leicester against Everton. It could be 8-8 this game, or it could go against the grain after 12 games without a clean sheet. Everton could collect two back-to-back, and it could be nil-nil. Two of the hottest strikers in the league, both English. Uh, Maybe both of them, actually go to the Euros after all. Vardy's won the last two games for Leicester City. I imagine he or Calvert-Lewin will be the difference this week when these two meet. What are you going for, Dean? I'm going to go for my old club, West Ham. Um, obviously, Declan Rice and his side looking to go for the title. Ooh, maybe not. Uh, but this is a great game that they will expect to, to win. I think what the West Ham fans will love, they haven't failed to score since the opening day of the season, which shows going forward... Plenty of talent, but as for Crystal Palace, they've got their own main man in Zaha. His best season's 10. He's already got seven this season. I expect this to be a high-scoring West Ham win. Ooh, looking forward to that. Aston Villa against Burnley. Uh, Aston Villa are at home, which is always a worry because they're much better away uh, than they are at Villa Park. But they're taking on a Burnley side who've just beaten Arsenal. And Burnley, you know what they're like. As soon as they pull off a great result, they always lose. Uh, Leeds United against Newcastle is an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, Marcella Bielsa against Steve Bruce uh, was someone that uh, Crook doesn't like and someone that Crook does like. In fact, and two sets of fans that absolutely hate him. <laughs> oh, they certainly do. I, I don't not like Marcella Bielsa. Well, you actually I said, just, is he a myth? And Andy Cole I'm, said, do you know what a myth means? Myth I'm not sure that he exist. is as good as he's been cracked up to be. Well, he's, Leeds, ob- he's obviously my- very good. But Leeds have made the step up and, and they're probably going to be saved from relegation by the fact that there will be three worst teams. That They're not going to be a top-half team, as people have predicted. They can't defend from set pieces. They give away too many chances and, and Bamford isn't going to score goals on a regular basis in the Premier League, despite the flying start that he's made of the season. Having said that, they'll have enough at home to beat Newcastle. With all due respect, he already has scored goals in the Premier League this season. And even if the season was to stop now, I mean, he hasn't done too badly. He's got eight goals this campaign. (laughs) That is quite outstanding in the first 12 matches of the campaign. Yeah, but if he ends the Premier League season with 12, for example, then having got eight so early, he'll probably see that as a bit of a disappointment. But if he started the season and you said to him, if you get into double figures, will you be happy? I think he probably would have said yes. Shrugging your shoulders doesn't work on a podcast. Um, Right, uh, Fulham against Brighton. Uh, Brighton need points. They need points badly because they are, they're going down this rabbit hole of playing well. And you mentioned it. I I, I was pretty convinced that they would be okay, Crook. But you, you, you mentioned early on that they've got to start putting points on the board rather than just uh, playing nice football. But they need to win, don't they? 
Yes, they do. Um, what worries me about Brighton, I actually fancied them to get something at Leicester until I saw that Tariq Lamptey wasn't playing. And, and when you think that he's really a young player at the start of his career, they're a bit too reliant on him. And also, Graham Potter seems to change the eleven and the system every week. I just wonder if that's causing a bit of uncertainty in the dressing room. If they lose this game... I think some Brighton fans might start to question the manager. Okay, listen, uh, thank you very much for your company. Uh, we whistle-stop tour around all of the games that have happened and some that are about to. Uh, that's it from us. We'll see you Friday morning for a look back at the midweek football with Darren Lewis and a look ahead to the weekend with Alex Crook. Uh, we'll see you then. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And uh, if you could, please, download, subscribe, rate, and tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.